so I was, uh, I've actually preached on this passage before uh, here at this church, and I was looking back at that sermon, and, and the, I used an image at the beginning that I found so nice, I'm going to use it twice. Um, and, and so some of you will remember when I tell you that, that um, this, this Bible contains 1,300 pages, just about. And, uh, and these 1,300 pages are, they are the best glimpse that we have of God's plan for the whole world. But, for at least a thousand of these pages, about three quarters, um, this book doesn't say much about the whole world. So, for at least a thousand pages, God's plan is about one small group of people. It's about one ethnic group. It is about Jews. So, the, the Old Testament, that first part of the book, is it's not really about like open arms and like everybody's welcome. Like it, the Old Testament is about God getting very specific. So, in the Old Testament, God picks one man. He picks Abram. He doesn't hold a tryout. He doesn't send invitations. He just, he just picks this one man. And then that man became a family. So it was uh, Abraham, and then he had a son Isaac. They had a family. And he had a son Jacob, had a family. And then that family, all those relatives, they became a tribe, the Hebrews. And then that tribe kind of got big enough, and it became a nation, Israel. And, and on every step of the way... God said, all right, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. Uh, I'm going to give you this sign that you're my people, the circumcision thing, remember? Uh, And I'm going to change the world through you. I'm going to bless the world through you. It's a cool plan. um, But God didn't say it to Egypt. He didn't give the plan to Moab. He only said it to Israel. Now, there were some exceptions. There were some very important exceptions. There was this uh, woman, Rahab. We talked about her. Was that last week or the week before? Uh, She was a Canaanite woman, and the Bible calls her a hero of faith. And and there was another woman, uh, Ruth. We talked about her in August. Um, uh, She was a Moabite, and she became the great-grandmother of the greatest Jewish king, uh, David. Uh, then there were like prophets like uh, Obadiah and Jonah. Uh, they were prophets, but they didn't prophesy to the Jews. They prophesied to like other countries. So there were exceptions. But generally, okay, most of the time, God's plan was for Israel. And you know, maybe that was helpful. Um, I mean, to be honest, they weren't an especially good group of people, but, but maybe God chose them to prove one of his favorite things, which is that his power is made perfect in weakness. And so he chose this group, even though they weren't so impressive, in order to display how impressive he could be. Maybe. Maybe there's a reason. But whatever that reason might be, there's no question that the plan, by almost any measure was exclusive. Uh, the, the, the community of faith in the Old Testament 
was a club that was hard to get into. And I think that that makes ancient Israel a lot like Christian churches today. Christian churches can be exclusive places. Uh, Many churches have strong ethnic ties. So in Grand Rapids, the dynamic is usually something like this, like uh, uh, the Catholic churches are mostly Polish. Uh, The Lutheran churches are mostly German or Scandinavian. And the Reformed churches are mostly Dutch. And if you found a Swede in a Catholic church or a German in a Reformed church, it was kind of weird. So even this church, Creston Church, has an ethnic heritage. Okay. It's, it's one of these uh, Dutch Reformed denominations. And, and the Dutch Reformed churches often grew in the same way that the, the Polish Catholic and the German Lutheran churches grew. A new Dutch person or a new Polish person or a new German person moved into the neighborhood. And I don't know, maybe that was helpful. You know, I was thinking about it, and it it seems to me like God really did use these ethnically oriented churches as real places of spiritual growth in this city. Um, You know, it kind of makes sense, right? A country of immigrants, it it became something that, that maybe facilitated the gospel. But if there's a reason for this, if there's a good reason, There is still no question that churches, even this church, can be exclusive. And this is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 2. He's he's talking to this room. I've explained it to you, right? There's these two types of people in the room. Half the room are Jewish Christians. They have been the stars of the show for the first thousand pages. But half the room are non-Jew Christians. This story has not been about them. Uh, They're they're new. And and Paul kind of names the elephant that's in the room. And he says to the non-Jews, he says, uh, there was a time when you were separated from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You didn't have God's law. You didn't have the temple. You were foreigners to God's promises. So there was a time, about a thousand pages, when there were uh, insiders and there were outsiders, and, and you guys were clearly the outsiders. And I know it's not a perfect analogy, but I wonder if there are people who feel the same way at Creston Church who feel like there are two kinds of people in the room. Uh, That there are insiders and there are outsiders. And they feel like they are outsiders. Uh, They feel like the story here has been going on for about a thousand pages without them. And I wonder if there are folks who feel like because they don't look a certain way or because they didn't go to a certain school or because they don't know certain people, that they are separated. That they are excluded from belonging. 
Now, maybe you'll say to me, like, Pastor, that's crazy. Anyone can belong here. Uh, Any Christian can be a member here. And that's true. I believe that. But I suspect there are people here who feel like, you know, even if they were a member, or even though they are a member, this church still feels a lot more like his church or her church than it feels like my church. So maybe there are people who feel like you need to have a certain color of skin or that you need to be a graduate of a certain college or that you need to have a certain kind of last name to belong here. So you know that our church last year went through a a visioning process and uh, breaking down the division between insiders and outsiders or we called it uh, growing in diversity. It's one of our top priorities. Uh, and we have a group that's actually just gone to a conference and they're praying about, they're talking about how to do this. And I, I think you should be praying for them too. Um, but it's actually, it's been one of our named priorities as a church for a long time. Uh, our vision statement, which was written a long time ago, says that we are becoming a multicultural, multiracial community. And, and part of the challenge in, in a thinking about this is the challenge that you have with a lot of things. And that is that different people are going to hear this differently. Okay. So some of us maybe feel like we're kind of like the Jewish Christians. Uh, we feel like the first three quarters of the story was about us. For the first thousand pages of the story of Creston Church, it was... Uh, it was not exclusively. There were a lot of really important exceptions, I should say. But maybe mostly, it was about people who looked like me and talked like me and knew a lot of the same people I knew. And, and maybe the prospect of changing that is scary. And it's like, this is my church. This is what I've known. It's where I'm comfortable. This is like my family. Uh, this, this community has shaped who I am in Christ. And so I'm really nervous about messing with, like, a good thing. But then I bet that some of you, some of you hear that Creston Church is becoming a multicultural, multiracial community, or you hear about this group and you think, like, yes, that's me! That's why I'm here. That's why I can be a part of this church, because at least I know it shouldn't be that you have to know these certain people or look this certain way. It's not about having a certain kind of last name to belong here. This is such a huge issue. Um, you'll remember, you got to go back all the way maybe to September, but Paul had prayed in uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians. Toward the end, he had prayed that the Ephesians would know God's power. Do you remember that? Pray that they'd know God's power. And, and in chapter 2, he lays out the two primary ways that people will see that power. 
And, and the first is the thing that we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's grace. It's this, this personal conversion. It is, it is somebody going from being dead in their sin, which is how we were all found, to being alive in Christ. Paul says that is evidence of God's power every time that happens. Going from spiritual death to spiritual life. But then the, the second sign of God's power kind of flows right out of that first one. And it's our passage today. The second sign of God's power will not be a personal conversion. It will be a church conversion. Okay. It'll be a community where two groups of people who kind of didn't do much together for about a thousand pages, or at least not much good happened between them, how those two groups can become a community so tightly united it'd be like a, a well-built temple. That's verse 20. Uh, every stone in its place. He's describing the church, right? Every stone in its place supporting the weight of every other stone. Each, each stone completely dependent completely dependent on and, and helping every other stone. And that temple built from diverse stones, right? They're not all coming from the same quarry. That will be a sign of God's power. It'd be amazing, right? I mean, that'd be beautiful to see a community so diverse. <laughs> all these different stones making this beautiful temple. But uh, before we get to the beautiful temple, Paul, who's sort of mixing his metaphors, that's a good, it's a good sign, a, a clue that you're reading something Paul wrote, is he'll be mixing his metaphors. And uh, Paul says that kind of on the, like, where the foundation should be for that temple, that beautiful temple, there's this big, ugly wall. It's this wall, it's dividing people. And the question is, how do we get rid of that wall so that this beautiful temple can rise up? And this is tricky because that wall is no joke, okay? <laughs> um, it's not there by accident. Uh, we built that wall. Uh, we kind of like that wall. Um, by nature, we are all we're all pretty fiercely tribal. Um, I'll just speak for myself. I, it is easiest for me to be around people who are like me. Okay, um, I, I love that. So, uh, people who vote like me, right? So I don't have to explain common sense to those ignorant, you know, fill in the blanks, right? Or people who spend money like me. Right? So I don't have to feel self-conscious about the way I'm spending money. Or uh, people who went to the same school. Or people who grew up with the same values. Right, Then you don't have to have these weird misunderstandings. So dealing with differences can be hard. And our, our tribalism builds quite a dividing wall. 
So how do we dismantle it? Well, Paul tells us the first way it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen by making the new guys follow the old rules. So, a lot of Jewish Christians thought that non-Jewish Christians, in addition to having faith in Jesus, they also should become observant Jews. They should follow all the old laws. So they should eat kosher, and they should get circumcised, and they should observe the Saturday Sabbath. And this is often the way that that dominant cultures in an organization work. This is not uniquely Jewish. Uh, There are these sort of written or unwritten rules in every organization that are kind of created, I think they're mostly created to keep things moving. They actually help us focus on other things. They also keep people comfortable, but they have this side effect of kind of letting you know who's in and who's out. So here at Creston, for instance, one of the unwritten rules is that people ought to sit quietly while I preach. Can I get an amen? (laughs) That wasn't bad. Another one is that when I tell you to greet each other, you should do so for 45 seconds. It's about six handshakes so long as you don't actually talk to anybody. But if, while I preached, you called back to me, or if you shook people's hands for 60 seconds, we would notice. We would notice. You would be violating the unwritten rules, and that would be weird. And we'd wonder if you belong here. So, I mean, those are kind of funny ones, right? But every community has, like, hundreds of written and unwritten rules. And I think some of them are probably pretty good. A lot of them are not. But when they're your rules, um, you don't even know that they're rules. You don't even know that they're there. And I think that's what's so dangerous, right? So without even thinking about it, the dominant culture, whoever was here first, can begin to expect that if someone wants to be a part of this community, in addition to putting their faith in Jesus, they also learn our hundred rules and follow our hundred rules. Like If they want to join us, they will fit in, right? That is the natural human instinct. And I think Paul would call that natural human instinct blasphemy. Okay. Paul says that rules can't make the community God wants. And this is kind of the incredible thing. Not even God's rules can do it. The only thing that can really bring people together is the only thing that can bring us closer to God. And that is our common faith in Jesus Christ. It's verses 1 to 10. Christ is our peace, says Paul. He's the one who can break down the wall. If he is not the foundation of this temple... If rules are the foundation of this temple, 
we can go to 100 conferences and I can preach 1,000 sermons on diversity and it won't make a bit of difference. Christ needs to be the foundation of this temple. Faith in Christ radically above every other factor must be what binds us together. Nothing else is strong enough to break that ugly wall down. Nothing else is sturdy enough to be the foundation of a diverse temple for the Lord. When we gather together around Christ, when our reason for being here is not the color of our skin or the football team of our school or even the familiarity of our music, I like that song, I don't like that song. When our reason for coming together is not a college, is not an ethnic heritage, is not a set of middle class or hipster values, when our reason for coming together is Christ, that's when God's temple will be built the way God wants it built. All that other stuff must take a back seat. Alma maters and skin color and language just are not enough to bridge the gaps that divide people. Not when what we're trying to do is be built into this beautiful temple. But when it's Christ. When it's Christ. When our eyes are set on Christ, there is no wall too high, there is no division too far, there is no fear too deep that God can't bridge that gap and bring us together. All right, let's pray together.